Late Night Council is a production of Council Communications. This is Late Night Council. This is bigger. This is very big. There's definitely something here. Apparently, it's a big deal. It's all over the news. It's a real thing. A radio signal from another world. John That's my grandpa. Well, your story is very compelling. Your chance to make history. It's pretty cool, I guess. Give it to me straight. John, you're in charge. Your chance to make history. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, you start talking about stuff on a talk radio show and people listen and they download the podcast. Word gets out. It goes viral. And before you know it, you're changing the world with me. Well, that's the goal, isn't it? You know, we're going to do our part. I guess God's going to take care of the rest. I never get discouraged, you know, with like, uh, you know, doing online broadcasting. And it's, it's not as high profile as it was, you know, when I was with CFRA. But I'm often reminded of, you know, the, the, the little boy with the five loaves and the two fishes, you know. About 20,000, 20,000 people there to feed. Now, the Bible says it was 5,000 because it only counts the men. So chances are there's a lot of women and children there. So the, the most, you know, uh, commentators and, and biblical historians, you know, they, they figure there's fifteen to 20,000, you know. Hey, we got to feed these people. What are we going to do? And this little kid, I mean, you, 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 on the surface, you'd think he's pretentious, you know. Well, i got a bag of lunch here. You can go for that and look what he does with it. You know, we're not in charge of production, folks. We're in charge of just being faithful, doing what we're told to do. So I'm feeling good about that. I think we're going to have a good two hours tonight. What do you think, okay? Now, I could go two hours, and I I don't mind going two hours. It's fun, okay? get to talk to you. I get to talk about stuff that I think God wants me to talk about. That sounds kind of spooky. I know. Some of you are thinking, rolling your eyes, oh, there's another charismaniac going for it there. But I, I do really believe that God's real. And I do believe that he can, you know, speak through people. And I've been, you know, I've been in enough situations where, you know, people have felt prompted to say something. And others have heard that and said, man, you will not believe, you know, how that just hit me right between the eyes. It was like you were talking straight to me. I, we call that in, 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 uh, in uh, you know, Christian circles, we call that the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We believe it's, you know, it's, it's, it's supernatural. It's a cool thing and it's happened enough and i've witnessed it enough to believe that you know it's possible so this could be a great night here tonight and you can get in on it you don't have to listen to me talk i mean i'm happy to i'm great i'm privileged i feel great that i can come into your into your iphone into your you know the car wherever you're listening you know on the computer and uh or maybe you're really high tech you know we had a late our children's ministry director this morning she brought in the coolest toy I've ever seen for our kids, okay? Well, it's, it, it's a pretty expensive toy. I, I, sometimes the tech, you know, kind of gets me going. And uh, uh, she turns this stereo on. And I'm telling you, it sounds like a, like a $2,000 home stereo unit. It's a little, it's, it looks like it's smaller than the urn that you would put the ashes of your grandmother in after she got cremated. This little thing, it's made by Bose, okay? It's a, it's a, it's a Bluetooth wireless speaker that connects with her, with her iPad or iPhone or whatever. Blew me away. For all I know, you're listening on one of those. I don't know. I feel privileged to be in your, in your ears right now and yakking at you. Uh, but you can call in. It's Ask the Pastor, as Late Night Council is now. From now until, you know, Jesus tells me, I want you to do something different, John. And you could call in. It's open line, open topic. You could call in from anywhere in North America. Okay, you could talk about whatever you want. Be warned, though, be forewarned. Before you call in, it's Ask the Pastor. So everything you bring to the program, everything I'm talking about tonight, I want to 
give you the spiritual perspective on. I want to give you the biblical perspective on. And you could join in and you could kind of try and knock me off of your game if that's what, you know, floats your boat and finds your remote. Or if there's just a nagging question that you have or you want to share an opinion on something that's going on that a lot of people are talking about online or in the news or whatever. It's your, you know, blank check. Whatever you want to bring to the program, here's the phone numbers. In the capital region, that would be Ottawa. That would be Arnprior, that would be Embrun, Russell, Gatineau, Hull, Aylmer, uh, and all points in between and in the middle. A one point, oh, about 1.5 million uh, uh, population listening area. Here's your number 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. Get you in right away. We have an automated answering system. It's very polite, it's very politically correct. It won't offend you. It will tell you what you need to do. Very simple. And you wait until, you know, I bring you on. And hopefully, you know, it's not, that's not long, a long time. Uh, be, uh, uh, be assured that calls take precedence here. In fact, I know it sounds a little silly, but I think I'd rather listen to you than listen to myself. Now, that's me. I, don't, I can't speak for the people listening in, but uh, you know, your calls are going to take precedence. They will take precedence over emails as well, okay? They will take precedence over emails and, and tweets and whatever, but you can email me, okay? It's got to be under six lines, and it's got to be airworthy. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. That's JC at LateNightCouncil.com. And you can tweet at me at JWCouncil. Now, also, you people listening, in, well, I can't, I can't, our 1-800 line doesn't go into Germany, so I apologize for that. But all across North America, 1-844-562-4766. So uh, I don't know if you're calling from uh, Antelope, Saskatchewan, okay? If you're calling from Lone Jack, Missouri. If you're calling from Pahrump, Nevada, if you're calling from Dickie, Maine, 1-844-562-4766 is your number. That's 1-844-562-4766. Or if you like letters and if it can help you remember the number better, 1-844-LNC. That stands for Late Night Council. 1-844-LNC is on. That's right, folks. It's on right now. It's six minutes after nine Eastern time. It's live. If you're listening on podcast, it's not that time right now. But for those of you that want to call in and be a part of it and share in the broadcast and uh, get your opinions known, you can get online right now. one 562 4766 from anywhere in North America. What's on your mind? Did you have a good week? I had quite a week. It's been an exciting week, okay? Um my son and daughter-in-law that live in California, and I didn't put, I didn't tweet the pictures out there. I should have. Okay, my wife did on her Facebook page, but not everybody listens to the, you know, the show knows what my wife's Facebook page is. Uh, there are fires going on in in the hills, in the Hollywood Hills, and in, in uh, Metro LA right now, and they were described uh, in the last oh four hours as the worst fires ever in Los Angeles County. And my son was tweeting us pictures. Uh, just what it looks like outside his kitchen window. And I'll tell you, it looks as bad as anything I've seen, you know, from Fort McMurray here in Canada, okay? And when they went, my daughter has also, my daughter's flown out to be with my son and do some work with him for the next two months. They picked her up at the airport Friday night, and when they went to drive from Burbank down to LAX, they took all of their documents, their passports, all the stuff that, you know, they can't afford to have destroyed, and, uh, uh, they brought in the car with them because they thought they'd have to be evacuated. There's been people that have been evacuated less than two miles away from where they live. So that's the kind of week I've been having. And that's just in L.A. Of course, 
all our attention and all the media and worldwide, everybody has been watching Houston and Hurricane Harvey and what's going on there. And disasters happen, don't they? Because that's just life and that's that's the way, you know, God made the world. And uh, in fact, Jesus promised in John 16, 33, he said, uh, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer that I've overcome the world. Now, that doesn't sound very kind. Be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Well, who are you? Well, he's the son of God. And the reason he says that is because you know, he knocks on our heart's door, wants to come into our life, wants to share our life with us. He said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And when you have Christ living in you, he says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That overcoming, that, that actually filters through through people that invite him into their lives. And, you know, Houston has a really, really, and there's a lot of people, especially in, in, in media, that, that, you know, roll their eyes when they talk about Houston because they think they're a bunch of rednecks, you know, and all that. You know, they're dissed quite a bit in secular media. But Houston has a, has a really, really high percentage of serious followers of Jesus Christ. And, and we're seeing their faith. We're seeing their compassion. We're seeing their generosity that, you know, knows no barriers and no racial barriers, no religious religious barriers. We see them coming together. There's some amazing, amazing stories coming out of the Houston area. Now, in the religious world, now if you listen to Ask the Pastor, you know, uh, uh, I, I hope that you know that, that when you go to news uh, uh, sources and when you check things out, want to find out what's going on in the world, I trust that you're getting your uh, information from a lot of different sources and I trust you're getting them you know, uh, from sources that are trustworthy, and it's not fake news. Now, how do you know when something's not fake news? Well, uh, part of that, one of the themes of the program tonight is, and, and I'm going to throw this question out there if anybody wants to jump on it before I start, you know, explaining my side of it and giving you some stories to illustrate the fact. The, st- the, the question I want to keep throwing out tonight is, how do you know what is true? How do you know what is true? I look at the track record of people that produce news, and I, and I kind of, you know, check them out for some of the claims that they made and the stories they've covered over the years to see whether they're credible or not, to see if, whether they were right in their analysis of, you know, where they thought trends were going and, and whether it's, you know, real or it's fear-mongering or it's serving some other political purpose. And I wouldn't mind getting into that discussion tonight because, to me, the most authoritative source in the world is the Bible. Yeah, now it's true. People have used the Bible to manipulate, to abuse, and to do really, really nasty things. That doesn't change the fact that Christ is the most compassionate and, and you know, uh, uh, by his life, you know, exemplified what, what, you know, real love is all about. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I think the Bible's reliable. I haven't got it all figured out yet, but I got enough figured out to, 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 to believe that, you know what, I'm tracking this down. I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to ch- keep chasing this. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, ferret out, you know, the stuff that maybe I don't understand. I'm not going to uh, ferret it up, but I try to understand it a little bit more because there's truth there. There's life there. I see see the power that it has on people. So to me, it's very, very authoritative. There was a great preacher in the early part of the 20th century. His name was Smith Wigglesworth. This guy never went to school. He was a plumber in England. And there were, you know, a lot of medically documented healings that took place under his, you know, his leadership when he would pray for people. And there's actually, there's actually uh, stories that have been substantiated of people who had actually been risen from the dead. And this guy had just like this amazing uh, power that rested upon him. And he gave glory to God for it. And he used to say, 
say that he was never educated. He learned to read from reading the Bible. God taught. He would tell you in his in his biography, his autobiography, that he learned to read. Never went to school. He learned to read. God taught. He said God taught him how to read by reading the Bible. And he was asked, "Do you ever read the news? Do you ever keep up?" He says, "No." He says, "Why should I read the newspaper? There's nothing in the news that could tell me that you know the Bible hasn't already told me. In fact, the Bible's more relevant than tomorrow's newspaper because it knows the future, the present, the past, and it's the most authoritative word out there. So you know, I'm I'm kind of of that ilk." And uh, so whatever you bring to the program, you get the biblical perspective on it. And the Christian world, other people, not necessarily as the, you know, the, the, the authentic world or even the credible world, because people who call themselves Christians, you have to admit, if you're going to be honest, they've done some pretty stupid things. They've done some pretty unchristlike things. But there's a bit of a, oh, maybe we could call it the Christian ghetto in North America, where they really keep to themselves, and they really listen to what everybody else says, and they don't seem to sometimes have an objective perspective on life, and and that Christian ghetto has been all the Twitter and all the buzz. In fact, some of the news, you know, was not only in the Christian ghetto, it spilled out onto CNN and Fox and uh, some of the American networks and even uh, Canadian networks here picked up the story of, some of you know who Joel Osteen is, okay? Now, I've talked about Joel Osteen a little bit on this program before. Joel Osteen, probably one of the highest profile pastors in North America. He pastors Lakewood Church in Houston, okay? He was never trained in a Bible college. This guy has, and I'm not trying to be cruel now. If he would be honest with you, he would tell you the same. He's got very, very little tra- uh, theological training, never went to a seminary, never went to a college, okay? I think he got his ordination, you know, on, on some, like, mail-in thing like you can. And uh, But I remember his father. I'm 57 years old, and I remember his father, John Osteen, who pastored the same church in Houston in the 70s and uh, the 80s. And I really like John Osteen. He, oh, he's a great preacher, knew the Bible really, really well. And I guess he didn't trust anybody but, uh, you know, to take over his church after he retired. So his son, he says, guess what, Joel, you're going to lead the church. And Joel, if you go, if you use the measuring stick of financial success, if you use the measuring stick of a large church, okay, and that's not the, you know, that's not the, uh, to me, those are not the most authoritative measuring sticks, okay, in life. But if you do go by that, uh, by what the world says is success, oh my goodness, he's done very, very well for himself. Very, very well for himself, okay? Lakewood Church took over the former Compact Center in Houston, where the Houston Rockets, okay, the NBA basketball team, they used to play their home games at the Compact Center. It seats 16,500. Well, Lakewood Church got that facility, and that's where they have church. And there's between, oh, probably 25 and 40,000 people that show up for church every Sunday morning in Joel Osteen's church, okay? So, pretty high profile. One of the biggest churches in North America, certainly by far and away, the largest church, if you go by regular attendance, in, in, in Houston, okay? Houston, to a great degree, is a Bible belt. There's a lot of people, I mean, it's a lot of what we would call, and if you want to get into it and talk about it tonight, what I mean by cultural Christianity. People think that they're born-again Christians. They think that they're followers of Christ just because they've been born into that environment, okay? And uh, the old joke is in places like Dallas and Nashville and Atlanta where, quote, everybody's saved, even the hookers are saved in these places, okay, which is nonsense. But that's, you know, that's a, a, a common uh, maxim that is used to explain how biblical Christianity permeates the culture so seriously in some of those larger southern towns. Now, if you're following the news, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, 
Okay? And I'll give you the report from Leonardo Brer from Christian Post. It, this is a good, honest account here. And uh, this is what he says here. Some of you know how the news reported what, you know, what happened with Joel Osteen and his church there. On Saturday, that would be a week ago yesterday, on Saturday, Osteen wrote on social media that he was praying for the safety of those affected by the flooding as Tropical Storm Harvey inundated Houston and other parts of Texas with historic rainfall. A day later, on Sunday, he said the church was inaccessible due to severe flooding. Several people on social media started reposting images online refuting that Lakewood Church had been affected by flooding. However, and a blistering media firestorm ensued. The church soon became a shelter for flood victims after the city requested help. High-profile critics like popular internet preacher and leader of Global Vision Bible Church in Tennessee, Greg Locke, insisted along with many others, however, that Osteen was shamed into opening up the doors of his church. Are you going to tell me that all the water in the building completely left and went away and the entire building was cleaned up so that now they can take refugees? No, it was just as clean then. They've, they're only doing this to save face because of the media firestorm, Locke said last Tuesday. They can do with their building what they will, but don't lie to us about it. At the end of the day, I really hope and pray that they help a lot of people, he noted. Okay. Osteen was really, really slow, and some people say he was making excuses for not opening up his mega church to house refugees and to help in the relief effort. They said that the only reason he got involved with it was because people, and I read some of the tweets before this hit the news. I, you know, I, I'm in that network where I follow a lot what people say, and oh my goodness, were they attacking him. It was vicious. Now, the guy is very much, you know, he's kind of, some people criticize him as he's kind of like the Oprah version of the gospel, you know, where everything's hunky-dory, and he's, he's got a personal wealth of over $50 million, and it's kind of like, uh, critics would say, it's self-help Christianity. You could decide, we could talk about it tonight if you want to yak about that. Now, later, uh, in the article, uh, uh, Osteen got a chance to respond. The pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, Joel Osteen, says that he is at peace, knowing that he did the right thing, despite facing withering attacks online from critics who refused to believe, okay, who refused to believe he did not initially open the doors of his megachurch to shelter Harvey flood victims because he was worried about flooding in the massive 16,000-seat church. And it's so easy, isn't it? Okay? And I want to give you my opinion on this. You could call in at 343-700-4390 in Ottawa, in the capital region, 343-700-4390, and one 844 is the long-distance line. I want to give you my take on this. This is my opinion. I reserve the right to be wrong. But if you're a fan of talk radio, you know that good talk radio is based on good opinion, okay, and informed opinion. I'm going to give you mine. But before I do, before you do, I'm going to give you my whole shoot and match what I think of this whole thing. And, of course, you're going to get to share what you want as well. You're free to call in and yak about it and email, but I pr- we prefer your calls, okay? Uh, before we do, I, want, I want, to, want you to hear from our sponsors. And we don't have a lot of commercials here. And the music tonight... The music tonight I, I, is going to have a bit of a Houston theme to it tonight, okay? So this is what you're going to hear. We're, we're going to take a short break real quick, okay? And we're going to go to, um, um, we're going to go to, uh, uh, well, there's some music already. We're going to go to a commercial break, and then you're going to hear from a band 
You're going to hear from a band. I won't tell you who it is. You're going to have to guess who it is. Who are easily, easily the most popular band to ever come out of Houston. Okay? The music's going to have a bit of a Houston theme tonight, and it's going to be awesome. There's very few commercials. I mean, you'd rather listen to good tunes than, you know, like hearing something sold. Although, you better listen to what's being sold with our commercials on the on the broadcast here, because we wouldn't be on the air without these people. So we're going to have a great, oh, it's, oh, man, already 20 minutes of the show gone already. An hour and 40 minutes, it's going to be awesome. You stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspect distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
Well, I'm looking at the numbers. I didn't seem to lose too many of you. That's kind of cool because sometimes I put a song on and, oh, boy, people don't like it. But I didn't lose many of you. Did you guess who the band was? But Biggest band by far to ever come out of Houston, Texas. I don't think we've ever played ZZ Top on Late Night Council before. You're going to lie. Tunes are pretty crude. So I had to find one that was kind of safe, you know. <laughs> So we are talking, I mean, it's open line, open topic, as, as you know, Ask the Pastor always is on Late Night Council, and you can bring up anything you want, but uh, Hurricane Harvey has had a bit of a, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a faith, there's a biblical perspective on it, and uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're, we're talking about the story of, of uh, uh, Joel Osteen has taken all kinds of criticism because some people feel he, he wasn't quick enough to respond to, uh, you know, uh, the plight of, you know, the devastation that's taken place down there. Uh, costs for uh, uh, restoring Houston now. Uh, the death toll, I think, the last time I saw it, and somebody may want to call in or, or email me with, you know, more accurate and more up-to-date numbers. I think the death toll is over 20 right now. And cost to restore uh, what has been damaged and what Hurricane Harvey has done is up in the $180 billion range right now. And some people think with Joel Osteen having a church that has twenty five to 30,000 people, and him preaching a, well, I think a real prosperity, sunny days, you know, buy my book and everything will be okay type of uh, gospel. And I don't mean to be, uh, you know, harsh. I'm just reporting what people, you know, uh, the uh, the common perspective of Joel Stein. He's taken a lot of heat. And it was only until he was shamed on social media and criticized across uh, uh, North America by a lot of his mega church peers that he that he got Lakewood Church into action and now they're housing 400 families in their church and everything and they're really involved and you see him doing all kinds of good stuff. So I told you I wanted to give you my take on it. I'm going to get to that in a second, but here's the phone number. 343-743-90 if you want to get in on this or whatever's on your mind tonight. 343-743-90 in the capital region, the Ottawa area. 343-743-90 one eight four four five six two four seven six six. That's one eight four four five six two four seven six six. That is the long distance line for good for all over North America. Okay, here's here's my take on it. Here for what it's worth, it's my opinion. I reserve the right to be wrong. You call in, correct me, or agree, whatever you want. It is so easy to jump on the beat up Joel Osteen bandwagon here. It really is. Okay. And I'm not a Joel Osteen fan. If you have ever heard my commentary on him, he's not one of my favorites, okay? Never have been. But I think, I think it's really, really unchristlike for guys like Greg Locke and other so-called Christian leaders to be beating up on this guy and criticizing him. I really do. I don't, I don't have a good feeling about it at all. I, and, and I would fact, I would even say, I don't care if the guy's worth $50 million. I don't care in this context. You know, uh, 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 the theology, as far as I'm concerned, doesn't matter right now, okay? I think that, you know, people criticizing him in the public eye, it reminds me of the whole 80s scandal, you know, when, uh, when uh, uh, the, the televangelist came down in the 80s, when Jimmy Swaggart went after Jim Baker on public TV, and yeah, Jim Baker did a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have done. But to hang out the dirty laundry and, 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 and to be critical like that, I, I thought was out of line. And then we find out that the very guy that criticized Baker the most, Jimmy Swaggart, he was exposed for basically doing the same stuff. Some people would even say worse. 
And I don't mean to absolve Joel Osteen, but I just think it's really cheap. You know, it's really, it's easy to kick a guy when he's down. And here's the biblical perspective on it. Yeah, there is one, okay? And I think it's pretty powerful. You tell me if this isn't relevant, okay? This is Paul writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what he says to them. He says that it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in change. In other words, he talks about there are people that, you know, that, that, that uh, preach the gospel, that are in this kind of business of, of God, and they're not very good people, okay? But look at what he says in verse, nine, verse 18. But what does that matter? The important thing that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And I've said for years that the message of the gospel, the fact that Jesus loves us and he, and he hates sin, he hates sin so much that, that he'd, he'd rather die a torturous, bloody, gross death to pay the price for it than compromise with it. And that's what he did through the cross. He loves us so much that that message of salvation being available through him, the message of him rising from the dead, and the message of him wanting to you know, live and reign and spend eternity with us, man, that's a fantastic message. And he even said of that message, he said, look, I've come, to your, I've come here so that you'll have life and have it to the full. That's an amazing message. In fact, it's so powerful. It's so transformative. It's so history-altering, okay, that even, even people with specious motives, even people that don't get it right, even people that screw up and make mistakes, they can't even hold back the power of that message. I have never met a perfect priest, preacher, minister, reverend in my life ever, okay? All of them have flaws. And it's my understanding that they are aware of their flaws. The best ones, in my opinion, the best preachers, the best Christian leaders, biblical leaders, are guys who know their weaknesses, guys who know how badly they need God. One of the lines I've used for years is, the most powerful people in the world are the people who know how much they need Jesus Christ. Paul talked about it in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And I love this verse. I quote it a lot. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, okay? There are things, you know, and he says, if you look at 2 Corinthians 12, I'm using my own vernacular here, but the, the story is basically this. There are things in my life that I wish weren't there. I wish God would take them away. These thorns in the flesh, they drive me nuts. But Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for you. So I'm going to boast about my weaknesses, because if I don't boast about it, about my weaknesses, he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the cross, the power of the cross, that supernatural transformative power, is not. it's going to be short-circuited. And I want all the power that has been made available to me through Jesus Christ, so he said he would boast about his weaknesses. And when I see, when I see like Christian leaders and pastors boasting about how big their empires are and how much money they make and all that other stuff, I kind of roll my eyes and go, oh my, come on, you know, one of these guys going to learn. And a lot of them are like that, but that doesn't change how powerful the message is. The greatest barrier to the message is not the inability of, 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 you know, we preachers to communicate. The greatest barrier to the message is the lifestyle and the priorities and the character of us, you know? When you're living the character, when you're, when you're, when you're uh, being the testimony that you should be, that's why Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa had such a worldwide impact, because people saw Jesus in her. 
they saw the priorities that they sh- that they sh- she had, and they said, well, what do you know? That seems to line up with what this message of Christ is all about, okay? Now, there's been other, you know, people that have commented on this. Let me give you another uh, columnist here from Christian Post. Uh, um, it should be noted, this is Jim Dennison writing here, and uh, uh, most of these are, are posted. In fact, the, the best, the best article from a biblical Christian perspective on the whole Hurricane Harvey and uh, uh, Joel Osteen affair, it's been front page media, it's been uh, lead news stories on CNN and all the major net- networks in the States particularly, and it's been on national news media here in Canada as well. The very best article on this I'm not quoting from tonight, okay? It's written by a, a colleague of mine in California by the name of Carl Vaders. I love Carl's stuff. He writes for Christianity Today. I have posted that link on uh, the Late Night Council Twitter page and on the Late Night Council Facebook page. So if you want the best article, I'm not quoting it from it tonight because it, you need to read it for yourself. It's got the best balance of anybody, and Carl said it better than I could on this radio anyway or show anyway. So I, I'm pointing you to uh, his article. You can find it on the Facebook page, Late Night Council Facebook page or the uh, 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 Twitter page. Okay, But I do want to quote you Jim Dennison's article here. It should be noted, he says. It should be noted. How willing the media have been to publicize appalling condemnations of Joel Osteen's church before giving him an opportunity to respond. But a story about an uncaring megachurch fits the secular narrative of our religion is irrelevant or dangerous culture perfectly. Perfectly. And Dennison's right. Joel Osteen's got a lot of enemies. And let me push the envelope here. I think he's got a lot of enemies because I think there's a lot of pastors of large, successful churches who are jealous of the guy. And they criticize him and they criticize, you know, his, his, his hey, look, I don't like his theology either. But, I, you know, I don't like criticizing the guy. Because even though, even though the fact is, the message of the cross that you could be saved and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, that's in the Bible. And there may be people that are more effective in that message, but there are people that the only gospel they hear, the only message of Christ they hear is from Joel Osteen. And when I'm impacting that many people for Jesus Christ, and God's got to be his judge, okay? When I'm impacting that many people for Jesus Christ, for good or for bad or whatever, then maybe I'll have some credibility to speak. And even if I did, I, I don't think I'd be, I'd be quick to, 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 to jump on the let's beat up and bully Joel Osteen bandwagon. And, and I'm kind of embarrassed that Christian leaders are so quick to pounce on him. I mean, we're supposed to be guys that are known for our forgiveness, for our, our, our compassion. Yeah, I know the Bible says hate sin. I'm all for that. You know, you can't get around that. Those are the words of Christ, okay? You can't compromise on that. If you ignore that, you're, you know, you've got a warped version of what, uh, you know, uh, Christianity is all about. But it, it's just embarrassing. It really is. When I see when I see Christian leaders who espouse to follow, you know, a guy who, I mean, fearless, okay? And, and yeah, I got to admit that, you know, Jesus' words is what got him killed, okay? And uh, uh, Michael Brown is somebody I quote often on this uh, program. And uh, he, put out, he put out a tweet this week that I, I actually uh, uh, copied and, and uh, retweeted out there. It's really good. He said, you know, what would it be like if our Christian leaders in North America lived like the disciples and had the, dis- the, the, you know, the passion and, uh, and, you know, the character of the disciples? And then he put dot, dot, dot. He said, a lot of them would be either in jail or dead. I think he's right. I think he's right. So that's my whole take on the whole Joe Holstein thing. 
going to put that one to bed. If you want to comment on it or you disagree or agree or you've got another take on it that I'm not thinking about, that's what Ask the Pastor's for. That's why we yak. That's why we take calls. That's why we talk. 343-743-90. I've got other things I want to yak about tonight, but I want to keep throwing up this question. Okay, throwing up. <laughs> that sounds good. I want to keep throwing out. Okay, I'll vomit out the question. I want to keep throwing out this question tonight. How do you know what is true? How do you know what is true? I may, if you give me an opportunity tonight, although your calls are going to take precedence, I may get into a bit of a discussion on that tonight. I want to talk about that. How do you know what's true? What measuring sticks do you do you use, you know, to evaluate whether something is true or not in news, in your place of worship, in your relationships with, you know, family and friends, etc.? How do you know when something's true? What measuring sticks, what tests do you use? to evaluate whether something's true or not. 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. That's long-distance. You can email me, jc at latenightcouncil.com is the email address. That's jc at latenightcouncil.com. And you can tweet at me at JW Council, okay? And it's got to be under six lines. It's got to be airworthy. We don't even look at it. So I told you that, you know, the, the music we're playing tonight, a lot of the tunes, and, you know, I, I put a lot, you know, I, I th- put a lot of thought into what tunes to play. So tonight's th- tunes, at least in the first part of the program, have a bit of a Houston feel to them tonight because we want to acknowledge our brothers and sisters and people that are, the suffering that are going on. If you want to, you know, if you, and there's so many places to, co- to contribute and give. It's uh, The media is full of opportunities like that, and I trust you're doing it. And we're kind of acknowledging tonight with some of our tunes we're playing tonight. So you're going to hear from our sponsors, and then you're going to hear... Then you're going to hear from a band, and it's an instrumental tune. Oh, it's really good, okay? A band that featured Thelma Houston as their lead singer. Who's Thelma Houston? Well, some of you people that are my age might remember her in the disco era, but she was quite a jazz singer. You know, she had quite a talent, great voice. You're not going to hear her voice in this tune, but most people think that, you know, it was the best tune that was on the record when it came out. So we're going to be right back after that. A word from our sponsor, then Thelma Houston. Stay with us. EMM Group is the authorized Integraspec distributor for the greater Ottawa area, providing technically advanced insulated concrete forms. The design virtually eliminates waste while providing the ultimate energy-efficient, quiet homes and structures. With over 40 years' experience in the concrete industry, EMM offers the best product to homeowners and contractors. Canadian-made Integraspec is now being used worldwide. More info can be found at Integraspec.com. Don't consider building any other way. Call your ICF specialist, 613-835-2600.
That tune's called Dish Rag. And it's by Thelma Houston and some other band. I can't remember. Like, it's it's out of the late 70s. Do you remember direct-to-disc albums? Do you remember direct-to-disc albums? For those of you that, you know, are under 30, you're going to, like, scratch your head. What's that? Well, back before CDs came out and sound was digital and absolutely perfect, when you played an album, you would often get scratches and, and you know, you hear some interference. And a typical album, oh, we remember kids, they'd go for anywhere from four to seven or eight bucks, okay? And, you know, the newer the album, the more higher selling it was, you know, it, 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 up around the seven, eight dollar range. Well, a direct-to-disc album, you know, they put the sound on the vinyl, they bypass the reel-to-reel and the processing, and they put the, they put the sound right on the vinyl, direct-to-disc. So the result was a crystal clear representation of the performance, okay? And a direct-to-disc album could run you anywhere from, oh, the cheapest I ever saw them were maybe 20 bucks, but I see them as high as about 150 bucks. And the first time I ever heard that tune, I think that was the first direct-to-disc album I ever heard. And it was on a buddy's sound system. He like it quite a bit of money, you know. And, uh, it, oh, it just blew me away. I could not believe it, okay? And uh, uh, look it up online, Thelma Houston. I think the album's called Pressure Cooker. And uh, uh, that song is called Dish Rag. And, and she just terrific, you know, well-executed, good stuff. I know if you're not into that type of music, well, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best here. It's it's not primarily a music program. It's a phone-in show. It's Ask the Pastor. It's Late Night Council. Whatever you want to talk about, give me a call. I, I think we got somebody on the line, and I'm going to find out who it is first. Let's see who's there. Hi, who's on the who's on the line with me? It's Mike. Hi, Mike. How you doing, buddy? Good. So have you got an opinion uh, on this whole Joel Osteen thing, or you want to go down another path here? No, no, I definitely wanted to stick with the Osteen, because I, too, saw a lot of the... I'm not a fan of him. I don't particularly care either way for him. He doesn't do it for me, but I don't hate the guy either. No. But I've never seen, I've never seen so much hate thrown at somebody. And from people that I, I... I mean, like you, I follow lots of different people online who I have a lot of respect for and a lot of... Um, you know, I hold in high, high regard in terms of scriptural discussion, and they were trashing, too. I mean, they were leading the way, and it got vicious and nasty. I've it's never embarrassing, seen isn't vitriol. it? It's embarrassing. It, it's, it shows me, well, I'm not going to say that I'm not guilty of it, because even though I may not have been guilty of this this time with him, when whenever there's somebody that maybe I disagree with scripturally, Boy, it doesn't take too long to start getting pretty arrogant with your own understanding. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think any of us can be guilty of this at any time, but I, I didn't like the nastiness, the viciousness of it was quite brutal. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, it, it's quite possible that Osteen's going to come out of this pretty strong. He's going to come out of this smelling rosy because it's it just... You know, again, I reserve the right to be wrong here. I think there's a lot of high-profile Christian leaders in North America that are jealous of that guy. Okay, I mean, yeah, and got- I, it's not just not just high-profile. I think low, like small church people. Yeah, I think yeah. I see this in small churches too. It's uh, they they there's a covetousness to this, and not just of the money. Covetousness. I don't know that money is necessarily the motivator, but mm-hmm. the fact that they're preaching to lots of people. Yeah. He's got an audience. Um, a lot of people love what he says, man, and they eat it up. 
when look at a guy like uh, uh, Justin Bieber. I'm not a Bieber fan. And you mm-hmm. sort of look and you listen and you think, I don't understand what everybody likes about this guy. So it's easy to knock and throw stones at him and make fun. But the truth is, why am I doing that? What do I care? Why wouldn't I just be happy for the guy and the people who like him? What's with yeah. the attacking people? Yeah, we What's talked with about that Ju- in us? We talked about Justin Bieber a lot uh, last week. And, you know, I can't stand the guy's music. It's annoying as anything. But I it like him as a person. I like him as a person. I really like him. I have said for, for the last three or four years, okay, he's 23 right now. I remember four or five years saying, you know, he's done some really dumb, stupid things, okay? And I've said, I've gone on record often as saying, you know, if I was 19 years old and I was worth $100 million, I'd be, I'd be way worse than him. I mean, I think the guy oh, yeah. handles himself wonderfully for all the pressure that's on him. The guy's got unbelievable. He's talented beyond, you know, he's right up there with anybody that uh, uh, in the music industry, he's as good as almost anybody as far as raw talent is concerned. It's, I mean, he plays a type of music that I could care less about, but I do recognize the talent. And as far as his, his relationship to God, you know, I wouldn't put the type of expectations on anybody, you know, who was that young and, you know, raised by a single mom who sounds like she's the most wonderful woman in the world. I mean, I tell people to back off of the guy all the time, you know, and he takes a lot of abuse too, doesn't he? I think I really think the Osteen moment with Harvey is a teachable moment for all of us. Absolutely. Because I do think a lot of people have egg on their face. Yep. I was really curious. I wanted to know, and I, I was waiting for the show, but the other night you tweeted out something regarding this, and you had two different quotes that looked like there was one was the quote for the other, but I think you were giving two quotes in your tweet, in your tweet, now, I got my own take on it. I don't know if it's something you want to spit out first or if well, you just I want to hear my remember. take Well, I can't remember. I'm going tweet. to my Twitter account right now, and I'm going yes. to the tweets that I put out there to see what I've got here. Uh, there was one about that you had uh, where Jesus said, what is it to you? And then you quoted yeah. John 21 as well. Yeah, there's uh, uh, when Jesus or is John having, 18. Yeah, Jesus says to uh, 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 Peter, he says, you know, what if I decide, you know, to keep... John alive, you know, until, you know, I return. What is that to you? Okay. You follow me. And I immediately thought of, you know, I wonder if if Jesus was commenting on this whole Joel Osteen thing. Hey, what if I decide to bless Joel Osteen so that he's a multimillionaire? What if I decide to give him a platform more than just about any other leader what is that to you? You follow me, okay? Don't think about that. I mean, you've got a job. You've got, you know, you know your th- things to deal with. You follow me and quit worrying about the other guy. I th- and that's the context and that's the intent of the tweet that I put out there. And is that not consistent with the Tenth Commandment of not coveting? What do you care what your neighbor's wife looks like, how many donkeys the guy has? <laughs> Why are you worrying about that? He's I will got more you... donkeys than me. I can't handle that, man. i got to have more yeah. donkeys. Oh, yeah, and you can understand why people freak with the planes, and yeah, <laughs> you know, we've yeah, discussed yeah. that on there before. But the, the thing is, why are we, why are we inserting, because when I read that, because as I was thinking on that passage, we have this, uh, if this is why I go back to Bastiat a lot, because Bastiat said, uh, liberty is faith in, or trust in God and his works, or faith in God and his works. Mm-hmm. We, we, we say we believe in God, we trust God, but maybe he needs a little help with this one, because I don't think he saw what I saw. We get it in our head that we need to somehow help God get this done, 
And to me, that's like reaching out for the ark when you're not supposed to be carrying it the way you're carrying it. Well, and you think God needs your hand. I'm I don't gonna, think we're supposed to be doing that. I'm going to react to you from a pastor's point of view, okay? I'm going mm-hmm. to, because uh, uh, I know how, here's why a lot of them, I think, and again, if you people want to disagree and call in, feel free. We can have a good discussion on this, okay? I think there's a lot of Christian leaders who this is their thought processes. God, I am slugging it out here, busting my butt, trying to do your work, you know, and taking it on the chin and being misunderstood. And that guy right there who doesn't have a care of the world, who preaches all about, you know, how wonderful there's never any problems and, you know, everything, God will give you everything you want. And he's worth 50 million bucks and he's got a hot wife and 40,000, you know, people coming every Sunday. Hey, God, what about me? And to me, yep. it's, it's selfishness. It's That is, yeah, as I much totally as you want to justify it, that is Hardcore jealousy, right there. That is and, that and is I, that is trusting in your own works and your own efforts, and not you know rejoicing in the Lord always and thanking God that He's given you breath and thanking God that He's given you the privilege that you could work in His kingdom. I also think it's substituting your judgment. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. That's making yourself God. You know, if I was in charge, things would be right. <laughs> Now, I wanted to get to the second quote, and I got a third one, but I want to get to the second quote that was in your tweet, because you also wrote John 1820 or whatever, and I I was 22 at the time, but I I actually backed it off, too, because I thought, man, this is another perfect uh, quote from Scripture. So it's where Jesus Jesus is being challenged, and and he's in in front of the Pharisees, and they're they're now questioning him for his heresy or whatever. The screen goes black just as I... <laughs> I'm Middle sorry. of computers. Okay, it's back. Um, so Jesus says, "I have spoken." Oh, so I backed it off too from yours. Okay. I have spoken openly to the world. Jesus replied, "I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. So why are you questioning me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said." When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped them in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replies, if I said something wrong, testify as to what I said wrong. If I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Yeah. And I'm thinking this is, this is perfect for the Osteen thing, because, again, they're all running around attacking him based on a few people with the camera saying, well, uh, you know, you've got to cross a moat to get into the building, but uh, it's not like it's a raging river, but... You're, you're, you're not even, you don't know the whole story, and he did even put out his story of what, what he was yep, coordinating yep. with the city. They told him what they wanted. Yep. He obliged with how they wanted him to behave with the thing. I'm sure there's other uh, liabilities and stuff. You can't just let thousands of people into a building when it, it's still maybe flooding worse. You don't know. It's still in the middle of the storm. Well, so I'm, I, whether, whether you're right or wrong, judgment. Mike, whether you're right or wrong, I I. I am very, very nervous. I do not want to stand in judgment of saying, hey, that guy's right or that guy's wrong. And I think people bullying him and beating him up, I think it's totally inappropriate. And more than that, it's embarrassing. As somebody who, you know, who's a follower of Christ and trying to communicate how great it is to have Christ in your life, I'm embarrassed by the way, you know, people who call themselves fellow followers of Christ are handling this. It's embarrassing. Now, I was, I was originally looking on my third one. I, I, I was looking for the one that you read earlier, uh, and I totally agree with that. That was the one I had in my mind where, where Paul also mentioned about te- people who are out there teaching but not teaching perfect. I think it's one thing for us to correct or to say, well, okay, that's fine, but you do know the Scripture says this, or I encourage you to check this, I encourage you to, you know. It's one thing to address 
what you decide or what you, in your understanding, is a false teaching or maybe a misunderstanding from according to you as how you know it. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing to go around and trash people. Yeah. So then I, I stumbled across Mark nine thirty eight where, uh, and I'd forgotten about this one, but uh, this was where they were driving out demons. And John goes to him, Jesus and says, Teacher, we saw someone driving out a demon in your name, and we told him to stop because he wasn't one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't, that's not saying the guy's perfect or he's not even a trained disciple. That's why they were trying to, again, substitute their judgment. He rebuked them. Don't you substitute your judgment for mine. I mean, Jesus, it's like God knows what they're doing. He sees what they're doing. He can, he's going to, you've got to trust that he uh, is going to lead that person to where they're going to go. Um, I, I think there's a difference between uh, commenting on wrong teachings, because like we could e- pick an easy example. There are churches that are teaching homosexuality is not only okay now, they're even gay preachers, I guess. And, 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 and they're like flying that as if that's okay, and they're being open about it. I think that's wrong teaching all day long. I think pretty much anybody who reads the scripture would see that's wrong teaching all day long. But does that mean all the other things that God is using them for are wrong? Good points, Mike, as always. You get the star for best caller to the show, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate you calling in. I, I've, I've got, thanks for calling in. I, I, told, you, I told you that we were going to... Uh, um, um, you know, talk about truth tonight. And I want to get back to that. Okay, I want to get back to that. We're going to take a break. I'm going to play some uh, tunage for you. And uh, the question is, how do you know what is true? What do you use to evaluate what is true? And I think I think this is a pretty good tune to talk about truth. Now, I'm not a big Sticks fan, okay? Sticks is not, uh, you know, not one of my uh, main uh, bands. But, um, um, I came across I came across a, a, a recording of them. Oh, it was uh, uh, they did a concert with uh, a, a group of kids called the Contemporary Youth Orchestra. These are twelve to to fifteen year old kids. Okay, twelve to fifteen year old kids, and uh, uh, they practice twelve to eighteen year old kids, and they practice for a year with a very popular artist. And they uh, uh, do a concert, a one-shot concert with this group. And the Contemporary Youth Orchestra out of Cleveland, they decided to team up with Styx to do this uh, a concert. And uh, you could see the videos. And, and uh, I, again, not a big Styx fan. But when I saw Styx interacting with, you know, 150 12 to 18-year-old kids making up the orchestra and chorus to do their tunes... Oh my goodness! I can't even listen to the old versions of Sticks anymore because of of so this is this is not a bad song about you know truth and and fooling yourself and and I hope you enjoy it and uh, we'll be right back uh, with our calls and and more takes and more stuff uh, when we return. Stay with us.
Now, if you want some good, clean, wholesome fun, you get on YouTube. Or, and you know what? I've even told people that if you, if you even have a half an inkling to enjoy the band sticks, you need to go out and get that DVD. I mean, it is. I, I still remember, and I lucked out one night because I hardly ever watched TV, and I don't know why I was home, but I had it on Oh, HD net or, or the some music channel, and and I, I see the band sticks walk out, and I notice they're on the stage, and I look a little bit closer, and it's a full orchestra and a choir, and I look a little closer, and it's all kids, and they they start up playing, and it, like these rock bands that you know that that I grew up with and that are still going, they have played these songs over. 10,000 times. They're bored silly. I mean, some of them just quit because they're so bored. Robert Plant does not want to reform Led Zeppelin because he's tired out of his mind of singing Stairway to Heaven. I mean, they're bored, okay? So you see these guys, it was like they were playing their tunes for the first time because these kids who are 12 to 18 years old that have practiced for an entire year for this one concert with Sticks. I mean, they're just, they're, the energy of the thing is quite remarkable. And, and the, the group is called the Contemporary Youth Orchestra, CYO. If you type in Sticks and CYO, they do all their big hits. They do Renegade, Blue Collar Man, uh, uh, and it's, it's very, very, very entertaining. Good, clean, fun. I mean, it captures the innocence and excitement of childhood, you know, and adolescence just beautifully. It's, it's a real, real, real good uh, thrill, and I can't recommend that emo- uh, enough. Comes with the Late Night Council Seal of Approval, folks. Happy to introduce you to it if you've never seen it before. Contemporary Youth Orchestra and Sticks. I think it was recorded about four or five years ago. Those kids will remember that for the rest of their lives. And there's some documentaries on, on YouTube as well that you could watch how the whole thing came together. Shows the kids practicing all year. And uh, really, really good stuff. They also do... Uh, um, they do the Beatles song, um, I Am the Walrus, okay? And I believe it starts off with, like, a, a one kid who's about 17 or 18-year-old, 16 or 17 years old, nerdy-looking kid, and he does this opening solo on the cello. You know, I Am the Walrus, it starts off with the cello part, okay? And he does this solo, and, and <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, they, the kids are so excited, and Styx is just feeding off of it. Anyway, enough of that. It's Ask the Pastor. It's Late Night Council. We've already devoured an hour, and we're going into our second hour here. It's open line, open topic, whatever you want to talk about, as it always is, okay? 343-700-4390. That's 343-700-4390. If you're calling from the Capital Region, if you're calling from everywhere else in North America, we have a toll-free line that we pay good money for. And uh, so if you're calling from Italy Cross, Nova Scotia, if you're calling from Bacon, Texas, I hope you're not wet. If you're calling from Bath Edition, Pennsylvania, or Candy Town, Ohio, one 562 is your number. That's one 562 You can email me. Haven't got an email I could use tonight yet. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. JC at LateNightCouncil.com. You can tweet at me at JWCouncil. It's got to be airworthy, though, folks. Okay, You can't just, well, you said it would go on if it was less than six. No, it's got to be good, okay? Six lines, and it's got to be airworthy, okay? So uh, the, 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 the question I keep throwing out tonight 
is uh, uh, it's kind of a theme. You know, we're playing tunes that have to do with Houston, and, and I just played You're Fooling Yourself for your, for your Believing. Okay, what's true? How do you know what is true? John 8 and 32, okay, it gets quoted all the time. People don't even know the context, but it's still the Word of God. And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You won't be in bondage anymore. You won't be, you be, you won't be deceived. You can't be conned when you know what the truth is, okay? Now, he said you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free, not what you want to believe. What, what you want to believe is not necessarily going to set you free. What is popular is not necessarily going to set you free. That's why I asked the question, how do you know when something is true? What criteria, what tools do you use to dig for the truth? How do you know when you're not being conned, when you're not being deceived? Okay? I figure that a guy that loves me so much he's willing to lay down his life for me and demonstrate his love for me by, you know, dying on the cross, you know, he's got my attention, okay? I, I do trust in what he says because I've seen what his words and what his life, what type of impact it has on people's lives. And, you know, he, I'm sold on the product, okay? It's not easy to find the truth, is it? It's not easy to, you know, to, to ferret out the garbage and the deception. And then if you go by, you know, if you live your life by, by the words of Christ and by the lifestyle of Christ in the Bible, he describes, you know, this other being that's trying to muck up, muck up your life bad, big, big time. The devil is described as the father of lies. Jesus said when he lies, he speaks his native language. And if you, if you look to the Bible as to, you know, how much the devil's influence, you know, how much of this world is influenced by him, oh, my goodness, he's having a heyday. He's doing quite well. His kingdom is quite healthy. And he's the best liar that he is. There is. There's nobody that can touch him. He is the father of lies. And all his lies, and one of my signature messages I preach, I haven't preached it in our new church at Christ Church yet, okay? And you want to find out about Christ Church, you go to ChristChurchOttawa.com, okay? The website has my messages up there, tells you where we meet and what's going on, you know, ChristChurchOttawa.com. Um. I haven't preached a, a signature message that I refer to all the time. It's called Believable Lies. I, that, that's going to be coming up. Probably in the next six months, I'm going to preach that message again at Christchurch here in downtown Ottawa, okay? Believable lies. Every lie that the devil promotes is believable. Every one of them makes sense. Why? Because nobody can lie like him. Oh, he's got the best lies. And we've got something that I think is very deceptive and quite dangerous, and you've been hearing about it more in the media lately, historical revisionism, where we're changing you know, the, the, the facts of the past and our understanding of the past and our history is being altered. Now, this was a full feature in, the, in George Orwell's novel, 1984, where they took history and they changed it to alter, you know, uh, people's uh, understanding. And they used it to deceive and to, and, you know, to uh, psychologically and in every way emotionally imprison people. I think it's going on today. In Canada, we've got, you know, people that want to shut down uh, and change the names of schools that are named after Sir John A. Macdonald and, you know, tear down. Uh, he's a first prime minister. And, you know, he is not meeting the criteria lately of politically correct, uh, political correctness. So let's just get rid of his influence. In the States, it's Confederate soldiers, okay? And the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Now, a guy that I read every once in a while is a guy by the name of Larry Eldery. And they give him a column. He's an American. They give him a column in the Sun uh, News Chain. 
And he dealt with this in today's Ottawa Sun. If you're listening across Canada, it would be in the Vancouver Sun, uh, the Toronto Sun, the Sun news chain. Uh, I think most of them carry Larry Edler's article. And the title was The Problem with Politically Correct History. Okay? And he deals with this topic of historical revisionism and how dangerous it is. And how, you know, we paint people with these broad strokes and we don't realize that even people that said and did bad things, they change. And sometimes they change for the better. And you don't always have an accurate picture of what people are telling you. And to change history just on a politically correct whim, he, he thinks is quite dangerous. Well, you know, his, 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 I want to give you an excerpt of the, of the article here, okay? He uses the example of, of the Confederate General William Mahone, who I didn't hear about until this. I mean, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not an authority on the Civil War, but I got a bit of an understanding about it. Confederate General William Mahone, one of General Robert E. Lee's most able commanders, he owned slaves before the Civil War. But after the war, he led an interracial political movement. He organized and became the leader of the Readjuster Party. Now, I'd never even heard about the Readjuster Party. Until I read this article because of, and I think I'd never heard about the Readjuster Party because of the efforts to revise history. There's people that don't want you to know about the Readjuster Party. Edler goes on. The Readjuster Party was the most successful interracial political alliance in the post-emancipation South. In 1881, Mahone was elected in the U.S. Senate. At the time, it was split 37 and 37 between Republicans and Democrats. But Mahone... Mahone aligned with the Republicans, the party founded two decades earlier by the Northerners trying to stop the expansion of slavery. Where have you heard that in any news reports about Black Lives Matter? Okay, it was the Democrats that were the were the fiercest proponents of slavery. And the Republican Party was started to stop slavery. Fake news doesn't want you to know that nowadays. Political correctness doesn't want you to know that. Edler continues. From 1879 to 1833, 83, Mahone's readjuster party dominated Virginia with a governor in the state house, two readjusters in the U.S. Senate, and readjusters representing six of the state's ten congressional districts. Under Mahone's leadership, his coalition also controlled the state legislature, the courts, and many of these coveted federal offices. Now, I remind people that Virginia was part of the Confederacy, okay? They were fighting against the North. They were pro-slavery. Well, after the Civil War, I mean, they changed and adjusted mighty quickly, okay? The readjuster established what became Virginia State University, the first state-supported college to train black teachers. What do you think of that? That was in the South. That wasn't in the North, okay? The first state-supported college to train black teachers. Democrats described the hatred, the hatred, the, the hated re- readjusters and Republicans as advocates of black domina- domination, okay? It was the Democrats that were pro-slavery in the 1800s, okay? After the Civil War. Okay, hold on. Sorry. What about... Lieutenant James Longstreet, one of Lee's favorite generals. Longstreet not only became a Republican after the war and served in Republican administrations, but also fought against the racist White League in the New in New Orleans. 
After the Civil War, Longstreet moved to New Orleans, where he urged Southerners to support the Republican Party and endorse their candidate, Ulysses S. Grant, for president in 1868. Remember, the Republican Party was was formed to fight slavery that the Democrats were supporting all through the Civil War. Okay, He commanded blacks in the New, in the New Orleans Metropolitan Police Force against the Anti-Reconstruction White League. A par- they were the paramilitary arm of the Democratic Party. Did you hear that? The Reconstruction White League. They were the paramilitary arm of the Democratic Party just after the Civil War. At the Battle of Liberty Place in 1874, Longstreet was shot and held captive for several days. He accepted political appointments from Republicans and even dared criticize General Lee for this betrayal. White Southerners pronounced Longstreet a scalawag and a leper of the community. Why? Because he was promoting the rights of blacks in the South as a Republican. Where does this viewing of history through... Now, that's just the Civil War. Edler goes on to use another example here that I think is quite poignant. needs to be heard. Where does this viewing of history through the prism of modern-day feelings end? Dr. Martin Luther King. Okay? Dr. Martin Luther King once gave advice to a gay young man that today would be heresy. King suggested... He battled his feelings, strongly implying that the young man needed therapy and sexual reorientation. Today, that kind of advice gets one branded a Neanderthal. President John F. Kennedy, frustrated with a high-profile Democrat who hadn't supported his election, threatened to banish him by giving him an obscure ambassadorship to one of the, as Kennedy put it, boogie republics. In Africa, okay? Boogie is a slang term for, you know, African-Americans. Tell that to the Black Lives Matter crew. That's their hero, Kennedy talking there. Edler concludes the piece by this. History is complicated, and history requires perspective and understanding. Something sadly lacking in those who seek to erase history by imposing today's standards of right or wrong. And it's really dangerous. I really think it is. I think it's Orwellian, and I think that, that, that many of us that don't know our history are living in, in gross deception. And this has a powerful, uh, there is a powerful biblical perspective on this that I want to bring to the program that you probably don't hear that often, okay? This whole topic of historical revision, this whole topic of how we are living in a culture that is deceived, okay? Let me read to you what 2 Thessalonians says about the last days, what it says about the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I'm not going to go all weirdo Bible prophecy apocalyptic crazy on you here, okay? I'm just going to read the Bible. And you tell me what you think it means here. You can call in and give me your take or whatever. 343-700-4390 in the capital region and one 844 is long distance. Okay? Here it comes. This is 2 Thessalonians 2, starting to read at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one. Now, earlier on in the chapter, it describes the lawless one as the Antichrist. Okay? Devil incarnate, whatever your interpretation of the Antichrist is. Okay? That's what it's referring to. I'm not interpreting here. I'm just reading here. I could give you a little bit of understanding of what the historical understanding of this verse has been for 2,000 years. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. doesn't tell us what this lie is. It just I'm just reading it here. 
serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Wow. Some type of lie being perpetrated. Perpetrated. Maybe it's a belief that all of us, you know, adhere to. But according to the Bible, it's a lie. I don't know what that lie is. But I think it's got a pretty accurate view of what culture is today. Now, you know, on this program, if you live your regular listener, ask the pastor on Sunday nights, we are always referring to Romans 1, 18 to 32. Well, tonight we're not. This is, this is kind of, and the best interpretive scripture is other scripture. Okay? It talks about lies. It talks about deceit, deception, counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. In other words, proof, you know, to, to, to promote the law. Now, I want to bring up a very, uh, the Bible describes this group of people as noble, okay? The Bible doesn't give out a lot of, you know, like uh, kudos and, you know, flowery descriptions, to, you know, for, for, for good people as a group, okay? But it mentions a specific group of people in Acts 17, okay? And I got to read this to you because it's relevant to what we're talking about. The question I've thrown out there tonight is how do you know when something's true? What criteria do you use? What tools do you use? How do you know you're not being conned? How do you know you're not being deceived? How, come, how do you know you're not coming under somebody's nefarious agenda for what you, you know, give your life to and what you, you know, what, 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 where you put your priorities? Okay, Acts 17.11. Listen to this. This is this group of people, okay? In fact, I'm going to give you the context to kind of give you the story here. Starting at verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews, listen to this now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. And then it says why. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. The biblical perspective on deception, the biblical perspective on being conned, it describes a group as more noble because they, they ferreted out the truth. They wanted to know. They searched the scripture. They, I'm sure they studied and they wanted to know, are we being conned? Is this guy authentic? Or should we kind of you know, throw our lot behind him? In fact, there are a number of churches in North America who have called themselves. I remember when we were in Windsor, there's a church in Detroit. They may have changed the name of the church by now, but it was called Berean, Berean Gospel Temple. That term Berean is very popular because people want to rise to that nobility, you know? It's, it's, it's not a bad thing to have a healthy bit of skepticism. It's a healthy thing to kind of fold your arms and say, okay, just a second here. I want to believe it's good, but, you know, I need more, I need more facts. It's not a bad thing to question your faith. It's not, and I've always said, look, it, if this Jesus thing, if the Bible really is the word of God, if he really is the way, the truth, and the life, then he should be able to stand up to scrutiny. I don't have to sell the product, okay? And I think that's, I, in fact, some of the most wonderful discussions I've ever gotten into when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, Christ and the Bible, the whole thing, are from skeptics, Okay. And if it's true, it stands up under scrutiny. And I personally, I think it does very, very well. 343 is the capital region number. That's 343 
is the long-distance line. That's 1-844-562-4766. You can email me at jc at latenightcouncil.com. You can tweet at me at jwcouncil. Now, got a bit of, I don't know, I guess we'll call it bad news. It's It's never a pleasant thing when somebody dies at the age of 67. Some of you know of the band of uh, the band Steely Dan. Steely Dan, who in the last 40 years are two people, Donald Fagan and Walter Becker. Now, they would use the best studio musicians to produce their albums. And some of the slickest production values and well values and real written music, okay, was put up by Steely Dan. Walter Becker, age 67, died today. Okay, and uh, his website and Steely Dan's website has not gone into detail. He was uh, uh, he had surgery. They had to they had to cancel uh, part of their tour over the summer. And I thought, you know, just to, to think about, I wanted to bring about what I I wanted to put on the program tonight. What I've always felt is is the most beautiful Steely Dan tune. I think it's really really, I think it's well written. And I find myself when I whenever I'm you know talking to somebody who calls themselves Ricky. I tend to kind of hum this tune to them, and I hope I'm not that annoying. And in memory of of, uh, Don uh, Walter Becker, this is probably the most popular tune that Steely Dan ever did. Ricky, don't lose that number. And then we're back with more of the program. Stay with us.
Now, you can't tell me that was annoying, okay? You know, there's some tunes that used to come on the radio, and even that come on the radio, I don't listen to the radio anymore. But back when I did, you know, you'd have a tune come on, and oh. Although, I'll tell you, when I was in California, okay, for uh, 12 days, about three weeks ago, to visit my son, I listened to a lot of radio down there because I didn't have my iPod, you know, hooked into my system, and I didn't have my tunes to listen to. It was a rented car, and so I got the presets of all the, you know, the, the, the radio stations in Los Angeles, and you would think, you know, Los Angeles, second biggest populated area in the United States, and, you know, media center, and, you know, everybody who's anybody is on there. I would think, you know, they probably got some good music. Oh, my goodness. The music stations were horrible. 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 I'm a classic rock fan, okay? And you could tell, and I had about four or five classic rock stations in the L.A. area preset on the on the uh, uh, car when I was driving around. And, I, I mean, I mean, the program directors of these radio stations must be 11 and 12-year-old. I got to be nice here, but, I mean, no experience whatsoever, Okay. For instance, Back in Black, the tune by ACDC, I heard it five times on the radio on different stations, okay? It kept playing, okay? A bunch of other tunes. And I don't mind some of these tunes, but no imagination whatsoever. I mean, just it was like, you know, they've got a playlist of maybe 150 to 200 tunes that just keep playing them over and over and over and over and over again. It was horrid, Okay. Of course, then again, I was raised in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm pretty biased because in the 70s and 80s, Detroit Rock Radio, there was nothing in the world like it, okay? Howard Stern, before he moved to New York City and became world famous, he was the morning DJ at WWW in Detroit in the early 80s, okay? That's the caliber of radio we had in, in uh, the metro Detroit area. And I would be in Chicago every once in a while. The Loop in Chicago and a number of the stations they had there. Fantastic radio. I can't believe how, how bad radio is. If, if L.A., which is supposed to be a media center, if that's the best that they can do, oh, my goodness. It makes me thankful I'm online. It's got nothing to do with Ask the Pastor or the format of this program, but, you know, you can call in and rant and rave, too. You know, I mean, it's my show. I'm allowed to talk and do whatever I want to do, and I'm, hopefully I'll be respectful of that. Hey, how do you know I'm telling you the truth? That's the question I've thrown out there tonight. How do you know when somebody's not conning you? How do you know when you're not being deceived? There's a real neat scripture in, uh, I think it's Second Timothy. Yeah, Second Timothy where Paul, St. Paul, his protege is Timothy. This kid's about 24, 25 years old. He has, under his pastoral care, probably three to 4,000 people where he's ministering. He's been trained by Paul. He's like Paul's apprentice. And the books of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, is, you know, the old grizzled veteran is giving advice to his apprentice, the guy that's going to carry on his work, Okay. And he says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, he kind of gets prophetic, okay? I'll give you the, the, the context so you know where it's coming from here. This is uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. 
kind of like Yoda and Luke Skywalker. You know, listen to me. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then here's the verse I want you to pay attention to in light of what we've been talking about today. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Oh, don't tell me the truth. No, no, no. Tell me what I want to hear. Oh, no, I don't want to hear that. Oh, la, 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 la. Yo, plug your ears down. I don't want to hear that. I said earlier in the program that Jesus said the truth will set you free, not what you want to hear. What you want to hear isn't necessarily going to set you free. What is politically correct is not necessarily going to set you free. Okay? The truth will set you free. I preached this message this morning at my church in Christchurch in downtown Ottawa. The title of the message was, How's Your Itch? You know what an itch is like? You know, it's kind of irritating and can drive you crazy if you can't get at it. You know, like if you've got an itch in your belly, your back, and hopefully, you know, like your, your spouse will, you know, honey, could you scratch my back? Yeah, right there, right there. You know, finally they get to it. Oh, oh, oh yeah, perfect, right there. Yeah, stay right there, you know. And, you know, if you've got a chronic itch or something that's really bad, you go to your doctor. What your doctor always say? Don't scratch it. Don't scratch it. If you scratch it, oh, it's going to get infected. It's going to spread. You do not want to scratch it. So we go for calamine lotion and Benadryl lotion and uh, lanocaine and cortisone cream and every uh, olive oil. There's all sorts of home remedies. Anything, you know, to get stop you from scratching because the doctor tells you scratching, giving into the itch is not supposed to be good for you. Now, in a spiritual sense... We itch spiritually all the time. There's things that irritate us. There's things that we want to hear. There's things, you know, that we crave. And, you know, the advice is the same that a physical doctor would give you. The spiritual doctor, the doctor of your soul, da-da, don't do that. Let me get a little more explicit. An addict. An addict does not need another fix. An addict needs to get free of what he's addicted to. Okay? Somebody who can't stop eating, okay? You don't take them to Mother Tucker's and treat them to, you know, a, 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 a buffet. It could get to the point where their health is in danger. And you're going to have a heart attack and you're going to die if you keep going down that road, okay? And to live, and I made this statement this morning and it's true, to live is to itch because Jesus said in a spiritual sense, in an emotional sense, in a sociological sense, we crave things all the time. And that's why Christ said, look, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And people, for whatever reason, they don't believe that he really is the son of God. They don't believe that sin is that bad. And you know, they found that I can't resist it anyway, so I'm just going to plunge knee deep in it, okay? Or neck deep in it, up to my eyeballs in it. They don't know that Christ could come into your life and change you from the inside out. They don't know that he can make you that person you never thought you could be. When he comes in and he becomes not only Savior, but he becomes Lord. 
But even those of us that have made that commitment to him and we follow him, sure we screw up, sure we stumble, but the reason we follow him is because we know how weak we are. We need him. We, we pursue him. We've got itching ears. We do. And I thought I'd go down the list. What is it that we want to hear? What do itching ears want to hear? Because what we want to hear often is not <laughs> what the Bible says. And the Bible doesn't, I mean, Christ cares. But, you know, if your feelings are hurt because, you know, you can't handle the truth, chances are it's not going to set you free. There has to, there has to be a spiritual moment where the lights go on and you make the decision of, okay, it doesn't sound too comfortable, but, you know, I'm not getting anywhere doing my own thing. Maybe somebody really is smarter than me. Maybe there is some wisdom available to me that maybe I should give a serious look at, a serious try. So I just want to go down the list here of things that we want to hear. This is things we want to hear. Here's the first one. Sin won't hurt you. Ah, it's not going to hurt. And even if you know you do it, he's going to forgive you because it's, you know, his grace is there. Hey, that's not what the Bible says. In Romans 6, 23, it says the wages of sin is death. Okay. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived, okay? That's the actual wording of the verse. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. Don't be conned, in other words. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he's going to also reap, okay? Here's another one of what our itching ears want to hear. I can keep on hoarding. Oh, we love stuff, don't we? Okay? If you can handle a little bit of the crudity and the bad language, you should go to YouTube and listen to George Carlin's classic comedy bit that he does called A Place for My Stuff. And how addicted we are to stuff and how we can't live without stuff. And all the world's pursuits is all about getting more stuff. And I thought it was quite brilliant. In fact, it was so good, I remember getting a script of it, and, you know, kind of censoring out so I'm not going to scare church people after that because they hear the, you know, the expletives that he uses and some of the crudities. You know, I'd get kicked out of the church. But in spite of, you know, that stuff, there's some powerful truth that Carlin did in that bit, a place for my stuff. And one of the things we want to hear, as those of us that follow, I could keep on hoarding. Let me read to you James 5, 1 to 4. Come now, you re- You rich. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Now, as soon as you hear that, come on now, you're rich. A lot of you think, well, I'm not rich. I'm just an average guy. Listen, if you're listening in Canada and the United States and you're living on the poverty line, people who live on the poverty line in Canada are still more well-off than 90% of the entire world. Okay? If you are living on the poverty line in Canada, you are better off as far as your health care, as far as the things you own, your income, your shelter, your food, all the basic needs of life, you are better off than over 6.2 billion people in the world. So when the Bible says, come on now, you rich, that's talking all Canadians there. He continues, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting and has reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus had some pretty cynical, nasty things to say to people who, you know, put their confidence in wealth. There was another guy that he told about, a rich man. You know, his grain, his barns were full of grain. He says, what am I going to do with all this wealth? I know. I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to even have more stuff. And Jesus said to him, 
You're a fool because day, this day your soul is going to be required of you. And that's where he makes this statement. You know, what good is it if you gain the whole world and you lose your own soul? But we like to hear that. Oh, I can keep on hoarding. Yeah, I can keep on. No, no consequences involved. Here's another one. I can seek my own interests first and God will go along with it. That's not what he said in Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these other things will be added unto you. Here's another one. A lot of people love to hear this, or at least they live like they believe it. God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, and I'm incapable of messing it up no matter what I do. Uh-uh. Proverbs thirteen fifteen: good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Yeah, we play those kind of games. See, there's two types of people in the world, okay? If you look at life from a biblical perspective, which I think is the safest way to look at life, there's the bunch that says to God, thy will be done. And then there's the bunch to whom God says, okay, have it your way, and that's never good. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That's why Proverbs 14 and 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death and destruction. Here's another thing that our itching ears want to hear, okay? I only have to love those who are lovely. Or I only have to love people who love me back. Jesus dealt with this pretty explicitly, head on, in Matthew 5, 46. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The tax collectors were basically the mafia back then. They were the organized crime. They were in league, you know, with the Romans. They were ripping people off like crazy. And the Romans were letting them do it, too. So they were the scum of the scum back then. Do not even tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? In other words, the unclean. Here's another, here's another line our itching ears want to hear. I don't have to forgive because God knows it's their fault. Here's Jesus in Matthew 6. If you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, we, at least in the Protestant faith, we're all big on grace, aren't we? You know, the just shall live by faith. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, some of us in the Protestant church, we got to grapple with Jesus' words. If you don't forgive, your Father's not going to forgive you. You can sing about grace all you want and how thankful you are to God. But if you don't forgive, you're not getting in. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? I, I didn't say it. He did. And if I'm misinterpreting it wrong, like if I'm not doing it justice, you call in and let me have it, okay? Because I can't get my head around this. If you can, if you figure out a way, please, I want to hear from you. There's another one. Oh, boy, this is a big one. In fact, this one's gaining in popularity. Everybody's buying this one. Oh, we love to hear this. Most people are going to go to heaven anyway, so I don't have to be concerned about people who are not. The lost, in other words. The Bible describes them as the lost. And yet Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. You know, a lot of people who think they know all about Christ and what he's all about, they like to ignore the fact that he talked more about hell than he did about heaven. And he said some radically scary things about hell. Oh, he was a good man. Oh, he's the son of God. Well, why would a good man, the son of God, lie about a horrible place of pain and suffering? I think he was telling the truth. 
And I think a lot of people that follow him are in denial to the reality of it. In fact, I would suggest that one of the reasons that Jesus was willing to go through a horrible, torturous, suffering, bloody, gory death is because he understood what hell was all about. And he had so much love for us, he didn't want anybody to go there. And he wanted to provide a way for people to escape it. Just because you can't conceive of something doesn't mean it's not true. Okay? I I don't like to be mean or, or nasty, but you are not the center of the universe, okay? Everything that you can conceive, the universe does not revolve around you. But, but, that sounds kind of, you know, provocative and nasty, but stay with me here. We can be in the grasp of, we can be possessed by, we could be in relationship with the center of the universe. And the Bible describes him as Christ. I'm not the center of the universe. It doesn't revolve around me in my opinions, but I can be connected to somebody who it does revolve around. And I want to be in good with him. I do. I really do. That's one of my goals in life. Being good with him. Got a beautiful song I want to play for you. Easily the most beautiful tune I've played for you tonight. It's Michael and Stormy O'Mardian. Michael O'Mardian has uh, been one of the most sought-after producers of the music industry in the Los Angeles area. And for about, oh, a good 40 years. He's been, him and Stormy O'Martian have been uh, members of a fantastic church in Van Nuys, California called the Church on the Way. And uh, I have heard their pastor preach many times. The guy's name is Jack Hayford. He's still alive. He's in his 80s now. And uh, I want you to think about, I want you to think about whatever you're going through. And I want you to think about the people in Houston, Texas, and the incredible faith that people are showing there and the way people are pulling together and doing wonderful things there. This song is called The Seasons of the Soul. Brilliant lyrics. Beautiful tune. Happy to bring it to you. And then we're going to come back, and i got a real fun story to share with you and some, oh, we're going we're gonna to end on a pretty fun note if there's no calls tonight, which is okay. This is Michael and Stormio Martin, Martin and The Seasons of the Soul.
whenever summer dreams start to fade and lose their light, and when the spring in your heart seems so cold, it can't be right, and you feel like you've lost control, and the valley seems so low. Well, it's not forever. Just a season of the soul. If you could step away just to see how far you've gone, if you would take the time just to be what you've become, you could have the time to. Chance to know that it's not forever, just a season of the soul. So when you look for the voice that you've known, and no one's there, and when it seems the caretaker's heart just doesn't care, it's the seasons of the soul. It's the seasons of the soul. Well, it's not forever. It's the seasons of the soul.
Nice tune, huh? I will confess there have been times when I've played that tune it's brought me to tears because it was just the right tune to hear at the right time. Michael and Stormy O'Marty and the Seasons of the Soul. That's the title of the album. And the whole album's fantastic. A forgotten artist, I guess, from the 70s and 80s. Worth looking up, though, if you can find their stuff online. Michael O'Marty was doing stuff before his wife Stormy started doing backup vocals. She became a very, very successful Christian author. A lot of books out there. Michael O'Martin has produced for Rod Stewart, for Michael Jackson, I mean, all kinds of big names, and yet he maintains a profoundly powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. Good guy, really good guy. I got one more fun story for you tonight, just to end the show with. I saw this and I thought, this is really cool. A Florida church has recreated the famous Leonardo da Vinci painting, The Last Supper, out of more than, get this, 78,000 pieces of Lego. And you got to go online to see this. I mean, it is very impressive. During the summer, 73 trail children and 30 volunteers gathered at the Oakland Presbyterian Lego Users Group Day Camp at Oakland Presbyterian Church to create the Lego artwork. Lori Hollick, who's the founder and leader of the Oakland Presbyterian Lego users group said in a statement emailed to the Christian Post that it took between 50 and 55 hours to complete the art piece, which measures 10 feet by 5 feet. They plan to keep the Lego Last Supper on display at Oakland Presbyterian. The origins for the project came back in 2012 when they constructed a Lego picture commemorating Oakland Presbyterian's 125th anniversary. It was intended to be a temporary fixture so we could replace it with a bigger, more permanent project, said Hollock in her comments. After brainstorming, my son came up with the idea for the Last Supper. The next few years were spent planning and working to raise the funds. Now, remember, Lego's not cheap. 78,000 pieces. The thing probably, and this is my, because I know Lego. I've been a Lego fan all my life, pretty much. 78,000 pieces, that's going to run you anywhere from 8000 to $20,000. Okay, that's how much it would have cost. After your brainstorming, they raised funds. Halleck explained that there was no kit for this creation, as her husband, Michael, had to program an application that took an imported JPEG file and create a pixeled image. The application was designed to take that pixeled image and, with some manual manipulation, produced a list of Lego parts needed, continued Halleck. Because if you got to buy, if you want to buy the pieces, like specific colors, boy, you pay top dollar for that, okay? The Lego Last Supper received coverage by the local media outlet, the West Orange Times and Observer, which noted that the artwork was not just ha, ha, has not just been shown at the church. The Hollocks recently returned from a Brick Fair Lego Expo in Virginia, where they displayed the artwork and returned with the prize for the best mosaic, reported the Times and Observer. The Last Supper will next travel to the Bricks and Blocks Lego event in September, according to its Facebook page. O-Plug was founded in 2010 and describes its mission as building fellowship and faith. One brick at a time. Cool story. I'm going to let you go tonight with a real fun tune, and it's the music that we choose. And you'll know what I mean by that when you hear the gorillas, and the tune is called 19 to 2000. It's a fun tune, and it's what I chose. Good night. Have a great week. It's the music that we choose. 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 
keep myself tethered to the days I try to lose. My mama said, slow down, you must make your own shoes. Stop dancing to the music, I've got us in a happy mood. Keep my mood on. Get the cool, get the cool to shine. 